Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zolkowski. Welcome to Episode 5 of Oral History. My name is Jeff Zolkowski, and I just wanted to make one clarification on Episode 4, as I often do at the head of each episode. Um, I misspoke at one point and said that I had stayed at KTSC-TV until December of 1995. I actually left there in December of 1994, and I can explain why that was because we move right into our next episode, the Steve Green Ministry Years. When I accepted the promotion to the production director at KTSC-TV, I expressed my desire to work in ministry, and during the fall of that year, I had applied for for a job with a Christian recording artist that I was not that familiar with. His name was Steve Green. I knew little of him, I, uh, but I knew he was uh, one of the gentlemen who ha- was the original group that had started a single Christian ministry, um, music ministry back in the 1980s, and that he had a big voice. That was pretty much all I knew, so I had to examine a little bit. But the, the way I found his ministry is, at that time, the internet, what passed for the internet, I should say, was a series of texts and uh, simple text-based messages. I got a magazine called Contemporary Christian Music Magazine uh, in text form. And in the back of that magazine, which I was very familiar with, back to my days of creating Impulse 85 and the Psalm 150 project that we had talked about earlier, it was through that magazine that I realized that they sometimes put ads for jobs. And in, I would say, August of that year, I had applied for a job with Steve Green Ministries for a video director, and it was pretty much what I had been doing. Um, It was different, um, but I applied nonetheless, and I had not heard anything for many, many months. And in the process, I was growing in my job at KTSC, and all of a sudden, one day, I walked in, and my boss, the general manager of KTSC, looked at me, and he said, someone from Nashville called, and they want to hire you. And I had not spoken to them. So the administrator for Steve's ministry is his brother, David. Apparently, David had called my references before he called me, and they had made a decision. Well, something I didn't find out until much later, the reason why... They called me with such uh, assuredness was that David's administrative assistant was a lady named Cecilia, and Cecilia was the heart and soul of the office of Steve Green Ministries. She made the thing tick. She was the glue that held it together, and the saying was, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And apparently at one point, Cecilia walked into David's office because David had made a decision about who he was going to hire. And Cecilia dropped my resume on David's desk and said, I don't know who you think you're going to hire, but this is the guy you need to hire. And it was my resume. And there were two things about my resume that caught Cecilia's attention, and she brought them to David's attention. 
And one was my heart for ministry, not just to do technical work, not just to be a part of a team that traveled the country and the world, but to actually do ministry. And the second one was my attention to detail. Um, I had put together a resume that effectively detailed every piece of gear I'd ever touched. And it was because I had applied earlier that year for a job with a Christian publishing company in Loveland, Colorado. And I didn't get that job, thought ministry maybe wasn't what God was calling me to. But in an instant, that morning when my general manager walked up to me and said, someone in Nashville called and they want to hire you, I knew it was time to think about ministry. Well, I got on the phone and I spoke with David and David said, I want to FedEx you uh, a ticket and I want you to be here in the next few days. I want to introduce you to a team and I want to see how things work. And I was utterly floored. And so I went to my family and told them what was going on. And my mom, who has always, who was always my protector for various reasons, and we can talk about some of those in a future podcast episode, but my mom uh, was my protector. And I had basically given her carte blanche to say, whether or not this is what God was calling me to. I knew if God could convince my mom that this is what God was calling me to, then it was what I was supposed to do. And so initially my mom was very reluctant, but I made the trip to Nashville and I flew in and I met uh, Steve, I met David, and then I met the ministry team. At that time it was uh, Brian Howell, who is still a friend of mine today and lives here in Cleveland with me. Um, I'll explain how he fits into all of this as well. but um, And then the sound technician was a gentleman by the name of Mark Shrimplin. Spencer Yance was our road manager. And the driver at the time was kind of up in the air. They were getting ready to hire a driver. And so I met with the team and we talked about what this might look like. And I walked away from that meeting knowing that this is what God was calling me to. But again, I needed to give them an answer, but I couldn't give them an answer until I actually had my mom sign off on it. It's just the nature of my relationship with my mom and, and throughout my lifetime. I was always her favorite, um, being the youngest. My wife is also the youngest, and she knows what that's like. But there was a period of time that had gone by, a couple of weeks, and Steve Green's, Steve Green's office was calling me, asking me for a decision, and my mom just didn't even want to talk about it. My dad and my mom had dinner one day. I was living in Pueblo, Colorado at the time, and we had lunch together one day, and I walked away from that lunch meeting with the two of them, and I pulled my dad aside, and I said, Dad, I have to give them an answer, so please talk to Mom on the way home, and I'll go if she says it's okay. And I waited about 45 minutes to an hour because that's about how long it took them to drive home. And I got a phone call about an hour and 15 minutes after they had left. And my mom in tears said to me, you have to go to Nashville. And I knew at that point that's what God was calling me to. And I would never look back. And this was where I was headed. So this was November, uh, November of... 1994 and by January 15th of 1994 I was in a rental car or rental truck and on my way to 
Nashville, Tennessee. Um, pulled into Nashville and parked the parked my car and unpacked my things and turned in the rental truck and I moved into a home that the ministry owned. It was called, we called it the ministry house. It was a, a ranch style home on the top of a hill with a front yard about the size of a football field, a backyard about the size of three quarters of a football field. And that's where the younger guys, the younger single guys in the ministry lived. And we took care of the home. And that at least initially was Brian and I. And then eventually when they hired a driver, a gentleman by the name of Brad Palmer, he also lived in the house with us. It was our job to keep the yard up. And if any of you have ever lived in Nashville, you understand that Nashville got a nickname, the Valley of the Fevers, because allergies are so bad in that area. It's basically a bowl and pollen and ragweed just settle. Uh, any, any, tip, any typical morning in uh, March and April in Nashville, you'll walk out to your car and your entire car is covered in a light film of yellow, the pollen, and your windshield wipers are about an inch deep in ragweed if you live anywhere near trees. And with my seasonal allergies, taking care of that yard was a chore. Brian and I did it, but it was uh, a difficult task for me. My life on the road with Steve came at a time when he had just, he was just finishing up a tour of the album Where Mercy Begins. And prior to my coming along, he had taken his family on the road with him. His wife, Mary Jean, his daughter, Summer, and his son, Josiah, traveled with him wherever he went and with the rest of the team in a bus. And it was at that point that they had made a decision as a family that the kids needed to be home more and be involved in what is called classical conversations, I believe. It's a, a classical homeschool. And so the kids and Mary Jean stopped traveling and things changed. And the other aspect of how touring changed for Steve at that time is rather than going out for long periods of time, weeks, multiple weeks at a time, they were going to take short trips, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday typically, sometimes Monday, and and then be back in town each week so that Steve could spend more time with his family. Now, if you don't know who Steve Green is, I mentioned before that I didn't, at the time of accepting the job, know much about him. Steve recorded an, a, a recording by the name of People Need the Lord, and it's probably the most famous thing. He came out of the group Truth. He spent time in the Gaither Vocal Band. He was one of the founding members of the Gaither Vocal Band with Bill and Gloria Gaither and a group of young guys. He actually named a rock group which was called Whiteheart and was the original tenor in Whiteheart. He never toured with the group, but he did record the first album. And so that's kind of Steve's resume. Steve is uh, a, an excellent tenor, an excellent vocalist, an excellent musician, but above all else, he's an excellent preacher and he loves the Lord and shares the word and shares the gospel in a way that it just moves people and God uses him in that way. So as I started with Steve and began traveling with him, we did one tour at the end of that Where Mercy Begins album release that I was a part of where we went out for 10 days and it was all through Texas. We had five concerts over 10 days in Texas and I recall that the first concert 
I was in the audience and just enjoying the concert because I'd never been to one of Steve's. The second concert, I sat with the gentleman who I had replaced. Now, there were a couple guys in between, but he was the one who had, or had originated the idea of doing video in Steve's concerts, putting up a projection screen, putting two cameras in the audience, doing camera shots and nice camera moves and rolling videotape into various aspects of it. So he kind of guided me through, and I watched him do it. The, the third night that we were together, I pushed buttons while he called those shots. The fourth night, he called the shot, or I called the shots, and he pushed the buttons. And by the fifth night, the fifth concert in that 10-day tour, he was sitting in the audience, and, and the job was mine. And, and it was just that. I, I typically set up my gear in the right stage right wing of whatever stage we happen to be on. So I had a good view of Steve. I had a good view of Brian at the keyboard and the piano. And then I worked with two volunteers who ran the cameras in the audience. And we rolled in video clip pieces. We had one song where Steve actually sang a duet with Larnell Harris. Well, Larnell was on videotape and his vocal was on videotape. The rest of it was track and Steve was singing to the to the track and then doubling up and singing duet with Larnell and we would do a split screen and people loved it and we just I enjoyed that so much and it utilized all of the talents that God had been building into me at KTSC and even back into my days of Psalm 150, Impulse 85 and Canyon Cable 11. In fact, as I thought about it after I arrived in Nashville and started touring with Steve, I realized that 10 years prior, when Impulse 85 was going on, I was praying to God at that time to please continue to use me this way in ministry. And for 10 years, God had some things to do in my life to get me ready for that. So 10 years later, I find myself doing very many of the same things that we had done in at Impulse 85, but now in Steve's ministry. And as I traveled the United States with Steve, as I traveled the world with Steve, I was privileged, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, to have visited 47 of the 48 states in the lower part of the U.S. I've never been to Alaska. I believe I've never been to Vermont. I think I've been to New Hampshire, but it's one of those two. I've even been to Hawaii. I've been to Puerto Rico. I went to Israel with them at one point. I went to Singapore, the Philippines and South Korea at one time. And so it was a phenomenal time in my life, not only because I got to do what I loved, which was video and video directing and being creative and setting up projectors and setting up cameras and, and being a roadie and the things that you can do when you're in your, in your 20s and at least for me in my 30s because your back still works and your muscles don't get as tired. But it was an opportunity for me to do those things as a single man and just be used of God and be in the presence of godly men. I, I count among those, obviously, Steve. As I mentioned before, he's an excellent preacher, and I had the opportunity to listen to him preach night after night, had the privilege of listening to him present the gospel night after night. I had the privilege of sitting under uh, his brother, David. David taught me how to be a manager 
I mentioned before that Scott Jones taught me how to be a better manager. David took it to the next level in teaching me how to manage people and how to, how to do things well in a ministry context. I had opportunities to be a part of developing Steve's website and maintaining his website. I had the opportunity to be a part of video recording projects and video edits where we put things together for the purpose of using them in the concert setting. And it was just a time where I was with godly men. Uh, Brian Howell, I would count among one of those folks. Brian taught me a lot. Sometimes the things that I learned, I learned through the difficulties that we have. Now, Brian and I, when I moved into the ministry home, it was the first time I had ever lived with somebody who was not my family. When I moved out of my parents' home, I moved into an apartment by myself. Now I moved to Nashville and I'm suddenly, I have a roommate. I've never had a roommate before. And Brian and I, over the first year and a half that I was in Nashville, we just... We were so very different in the way we approached everything that we would get on each other's nerves. And he was a morning person. I was a night person. I would eat dinner sometimes at 11 o'clock at night. He was up in the morning at 7. Um, he liked to play music loud, and I watched TV loud. And just there were things about living together that I did that I had to learn how to be a better roommate, a better friend. Um, I recall one particular instance with Brian where we had had an offense and, and it was related to something that I had done in error, but Brian reacted to what I had done in error and I was offended by that and I didn't let it go. And over a period of a couple of months, I let it fester. I didn't keep a short account with him. And in doing so, I began to view everything that he did through the lens of my wound. And when I did that, I began to think that he was reacting based on the way I thought he would react based on my hurt. And it got to the point where I recall we were headed to Florida and we got on the bus and I walked down the center aisle and was about to head toward my bunk and Steve stopped me in my tracks on the, on the way on the bus. And he said, everybody in this ministry knows you guys have a problem, meaning Brian and I. He said, you guys go in the back lounge, which was Steve's bedroom. He said, and don't come out until you've figured it out. He said, if you guys need to take all night, that's fine. And if you, we need to find a way to work around you tomorrow during the concert, we'll do it as well, at least in the setup. And so we went back there and kind of hemmed and hawed for a few minutes. And then I finally opened up and I deluged Brian with all of the things that I felt like he had done. And honestly, the only thing that was really an issue was that initial offense that I had not dealt with. Everything after that was just my perception of who Brian was, but it wasn't really him. And he was incredulous. Like, he just did not even understand where all of this was coming from. But I had to get it out. I had to talk about it. And I had to make a covenant with him that from that point on, we would keep short accounts with each other, that we wouldn't let things fester as I had done. And so I humbled myself before him. He humbled himself first before me. 
um, was very gracious in all of it, and we walked away much better friends. We were even better friends when we moved out of a home together, and he moved into a condo and I moved into a condo. But Brian was, one of the greatest things that Brian did in my life is I was very much an introvert when I moved to Nashville, and I didn't know how to initiate with other guys my age. I I had always gotten along with older people. I get along with little kids, but people my own age, and especially guys my own age, I just couldn't really relate to. And Brian started a Bible study in our home with about four other guys, and he just kept asking me. He never hounded me. He never berated me, but he just kept asking me all the time, do you want to be a part of this? We really want you to be a part of this. And it was because of that, it was because of Brian's persistence and his love and his character that God pulled me into this group of guys and God began to develop very deep relationships, not only with those guys, but guys in my church. Now, my days at Steve Green Ministries, it only lasted six years. I was there from 1995 to to January of 2001. Now, if you look at the plaque in my bedroom that I got from the ministry when I resigned. It says, we thank Jeff, Steve Reed Ministries thanks Jeff for his five faithful years. They made a mistake on the plaque. And so we've always joked, I've always joked that within that six years, there was probably one accumulative year that I was not faithful. So we joke about the five faithful years and I still bring that up to Steve as often as I can. But during those six years, I grew in my relationship, not only with Brian, but with uh, a a dear friend by the name of Steve Patrick, another dear friend named Jeff Chandler, uh, and and some other guys that kind of came and went from our group. It taught me how to participate and love and grow in a life group, and uh, which I did at my churches. And I started to grow in, uh, deep relationships with a group of guys in my church, guys like Keith Melton and and Jeff Runyon and Chip Curran and, and other gentlemen, jo- uh, Joel Guinness. These, these guys were so important to me that when my wife and I actually got married, in 2005, after I moved to Cleveland, my wife asked me how many attendants I wanted, and she thought I was going to say three or two or maybe five at the most. And I said, there are 10 guys in my life that are so important to me that I have to have them on the platform with me when I get married. And it goes all the way back to my best friend, Sean, when I was growing up. It's my brother and my brother-in-law. Um, a friend named Keith that I grew close to him and his family. It was Brian. It was a guy that I became close with in in Cleveland by the name of Joe. But it was this heart of this group of guys, Keith and Joel and Steve and Brian, that I had just grown immensely with, not only in relationship, but in my understanding of God's word and the depth of my relationship with God that grew out of the relationship that I had with these guys. So my time in Nashville was pivotal in my walk with the Lord. Now, one of the people that kind of intersected into my life and out of my life at least four times during those years I was traveling with Steve 
was a young lady who Brian had gone to college with. He had gone to Anderson University in, in Indiana, and he'd met this young girl named Larissa. And they traveled together uh, on something called Acts Troop. And she would come to concerts occasionally, and he would introduce her to everyone, and I would be extremely busy, and we would say hello. And honestly, I don't remember the three times that I met Larissa in the six years that I was traveling with Steve. The, the fourth time we met was actually when I was talking with Brian in Nashville about a job here in Cleveland, and we were at Steve's daughter's wedding, and uh, Brian was seated at a table with Larissa and her mom, and I walked over to talk to Brian about this potential job in Cleveland. And so four times over my 10 years in Nashville, at least four times, I met my wife and didn't know it. And again, it was a situation where God was refining me and he was refining her in his sovereignty and in his providence. He was putting things in place and it wasn't time for us to meet until I got here. And I may have told the story before, but I'll, I'll cover it a little bit. When I came to Cleveland after six years with Steve Reed Ministries and a, a stint at a church in Nashville and, and just a job at a UPS store, which I'll cover a little bit later, um, it was when I finally came to Cleveland that Brian was part of my hiring process in Cleveland and Larissa was here. She had come about six months prior to take a job at Indiana Wesleyan University, and she was actually watching Brian's kids the night that I interviewed with the leadership of Cuyahoga Valley Church. And during that time in that leadership, in that meeting with the leadership of Cuyahoga Valley Church, I actually said to those folks, Rick Duncan and his wife and Dan Burgoyne and his wife and Brian Howell and Jennifer, I said, I believe that God brought me to Cleveland to start a family. And that evening, I went back to Brian's house, and for the, air quote, first time I ever met Larissa, and shook her hand and thought, here's a young lady that I'd like to get to know better. And 10 months later, we were married. And that's what I want to talk about over the next two episodes that we get together. So when we get back together in two weeks, I'm going to have my wife with me. And we're going to talk about how we grew together, how God was preparing her at her time in Indiana, how God was preparing her in her time as she moved to, to Cleveland. And then we're going to also cover the miraculous story of the adoption of our daughter, Alexa. That's going to be an episode in and of itself. We want to talk about that and share that with you as well. So my time with Steve Green Ministries, and I've not really covered a lot of the specifics. I could tell you stories about Elizabeth, New Jersey, when we uh, got into a school at three o'clock and there was no stage, and uh, just stories and stories and stories. One of my favorites was uh, a gentleman walking up to Steve as Steve was getting off the bus in uh, at a gas station one night, and the gentleman walked up to Steve and said, who's on the bus? He was all excited, thought maybe it was a recording artist, and Steve said, you don't know him. And the guy goes, no, no, I might. And he's the, and the guy goes, Does, is he a recording artist? And Steve said, yes, he's a Christian recording artist. And, and Steve said, but you don't know him. 
And the guy goes, no, no, I might. And he asked one last time, he's like, who's on the bus? And Steve flashed his fingers up to create two corners of a frame in front of his face and smiled at the guy and basically saying, it's me. And obviously, if you knew me, you would know. And so it obviously you don't know me. But it just, it was so much fun. Um, Nights on the bus, one of my favorite stories of being on the bus was Steve was a prankster, okay? Godly man, great dad, wonderful husband, great singer, even better preacher, but he was a rascal. He would torture Brian Howell on that bus all the time. And one night I was laying in my bunk. I slept in the middle bunk on the passenger side. Brian slept in the middle bunk on the driver's side. And I heard kind of stirring outside my bunk. So I pulled the curtain back and I looked and Steve's crawling into Brian's bunk and Brian's not there. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he tells me to shh. And so a little while later, Brian finally brushes his teeth, comes back and Brian slides in head first into his bunk, not realizing that Steve's balled up at the end of his bunk and he Brian Steve waits for the right moment, grabs Brian's legs, and I hear the shriek of Brian from across the hallway. And so it was just things like that, the, the fun on the road, the, the traveling together. So I decided one time to get even for Brian and what I did is I went to bed early and didn't tell anyone what I was doing and I went and crawled into the closet at the foot of Steve's bunk, which was over the engine. And Steve came in, and I was very hopeful that he wouldn't read an entire book, because sometimes he would lay awake and read an entire book. And I stayed in that closet, and I waited a while, and I eventually I saw the light in the room go off through around the crack in the door. And I waited a few seconds, and I kicked the door open a little bit. And then I pulled it shut. And then I kicked it open an inch or two, and then I pulled it shut. And then when I went to kick it open the third time a little bit, Steve must have reached up with his foot and he slammed it shut against my hand. And I waited a few seconds more, and and then I opened it a, a little bit more, and I saw the light come on, and I'm like, we're at pay dirt. And he f- swung that door open, and I was sitting there, and I didn't scream. I didn't yell. I didn't surprise him. But the look on his face, the shock of knowing that he'd been gotten by me was amazing. And I, it was that, that was the kind of fun we had as we traveled together. Um, I could spend hours telling you more stories. We'll, we'll do road stories from, uh, Steve Green Ministries as one particular episode, because there's so many things that we can share. But this is, what I want you to come away with from my time at Steve Green Ministries. It was a compact, fervent six years of me growing in my relationship with the Lord and growing in my relationship with men who cared for me and loved me in that context, in the context of my church and in, and elsewhere. And it was God growing me to the point to make me the man that he wanted me to be so that when I got to Cleveland in 2005, I would be ready to be the husband that I could be for Larissa. So next time, we're going to spend some time with Larissa and we're going to share the story of our wedding, our meeting, our just the wonderful time of how God knit our hearts together and then 
the episode after that will cover time about our adoption of our sweet daughter, Alexa. So thank you for listening. I want to pray as I always do at the end of our time together. But I want to just encourage you again to think about the people who have been formative in your life. People who, as you look back, they are instrumental in making you the person that you are today. And find them, call them, text them if you can, message them on Facebook and thank them for what they've done in your life. They need to hear that. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for Steve Green. I thank you for the ministry years of traveling with Steve, uh, of growing in relationship with him and the rest of the guys on the road. Um, One that I didn't mention was after Mark Shrimplin left, my dear, dear friend Carrie Summers became sound guy. How I grew in my relationship with not only Carrie, but with his son, Tyler. God, you used those years and those 10 years in Nashville to grow me and mold me and shape me and make me the man that you wanted to be so that I could be the husband that I needed to be for Larissa and the father that I needed to be for Alexa. So Father, thank you for that. And thank you for those who are listening. Father, give them the courage and the wisdom and the opportunities to seek out those people who have had the same type of just monumental, pivotal uh, shift in their lives, who, who help them grow. And Father, help each person who, to find those people that, that loved and cared for them enough to do the hard things and loved and cared for them enough to do the fun things and let them find them and thank them. So Father, open the eyes and ears of everyone who hears this today. Open their eyes and their ears to the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came to this earth to die for them so that they could uh, have eternal life, but more importantly, so they could live for him and be used of, uh, be used of God to draw other people to, to, to yourself, Lord. Because you say in your word that Jesus died for us even when we weren't seeking him. So Father, those who don't know you, open their eyes and their ears to the truth of the gospel today. And Father, I thank you for our time together. I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for being a part of oral history and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.